The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Westway. I'm Pastor Joe, and I am one of the pastors here at Westway. Uh, It's good to be with you here today. And as always, it's good to see many faces out here. I look out over the crowd this morning, and there are some of you I haven't seen for a while. And it's so good to see those faces back in the audience once again. Um, We've been going through this series of messages, and John has been sharing with you an overview of the scriptures. And in that overview, um, we have been privileged to go quickly. And I say that because I really think that in this series, it's a good idea if we come away with a hunger and a desire to know more. And we're going to continue that series again this morning um, with following the break between the Testaments of the Scripture. The Old Testament, uh, John kind of brought that to an end last week, if you will, and this week we begin the New Testament. And in the beginning of uh, the New Testament, you will find four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those four books, you will find that they're very similar in the story that they tell. Um, The word gospel comes from, the English word is derived from the Anglo-Saxon term called God's spell. It means good story. The Greek word, euangelion, translated gospel, which means good news, referred to a good report about an important event. Excuse me, today. We are going to talk about these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which present the good news about the most significant events in all of history. And it's interesting as we think about um, these events, they're events that are recorded by four men. God said it's that important. And these four men are going to look at these events from their own angle, their own view, and share their testimony about these events. I I think that one of the ways that we can think about these events is, let's say we're, I'm sitting in my office, which is on the south side of the the church building here, and I got a, a window that I get to see the monument. From my desk, and I hear this kapow out in front of the church out here, and I look out my window, and there's an accident there. There's somebody coming from the from the east, and there's somebody coming from the west. There was somebody sitting in the parking lot, and I looked out my window and saw the results of this accident. Four different viewpoints, same event, and in that event, we look for a report to be given to people that come and respond to that event. I'm sitting at my desk. I call, I call 911. And a lot of times you'll get the police. You'll get 
the ambulance. You'll get the fire department. You'll get um, first responders. And they all have questions. And they begin to ask you what happened. And they interview the different people that witnessed this. Will you get the same report from every person? That's a trick question. I heard no. But I want to say yes. They're telling about the same event from their angles. When you look at the Gospels, I want you to think about that example. I want you to think about what you read may not be word for word the same in each of the Gospels. But when you put them all together, they tell a story. The most important story that you will ever hear. You see, Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience, using words and illustrations that the Jewish people would have understood and related with. He told of the coming Messiah, that they had been waiting and watching for all of their lives for this Messiah. He told how Jesus of Nazareth was the rightful king using Old Testament quotes, presenting various aspects of Jesus's life and ministry and the fulfillment of Old Testament messianic prophecy. Matthew used the phrase kingdom of heaven quite often as he encouraged the Jews to accept this man as the Christ. So Matthew wrote the first book in the New Testament that is recorded there. It's believed that Mark, also known as John Mark, wrote mostly to the Gentiles, especially Roman Gentiles. He testified in his gospel that Jesus was the servant who came to suffer for the sins of many. He spent a great amount of time as a young man helping and ministering with both the Apostle Peter in his ministry and the Apostle Paul in his ministries. Luke, the third writer, who wrote specifically to a dear friend whose name was Theopolis. That's an interesting name, isn't it? And that name means one who loves God. That's a pretty awesome name. You know what? I haven't heard too many parents name their kids Theopolis. It'd be a great name. Austin and Michaela. <laughs> that is no news. But <laughs> um, his testimony about Jesus in his gospel was the first of two books. Luke is the first and Acts is the second. His desire was to strengthen the faith of all believers and to answer the attacks of unbelievers. He was a careful researcher and an accurate historian. Luke portrays Jesus as the son of man, the answer to the needs and hopes of the human race who came to seek and save lost sinners. You're watching me keep touching this screen um, my internet's down, so I may not be able to use this when we get to it, Logan. We'll try. <laughs> the last of the Gospels was written by the Apostle John. John was special. He was the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. And Jesus had a nickname for these two boys. The sons of thunder. 
If you read the Gospels, you can find where it talks about that and why Jesus used that nickname. I'm not going to tell you now. John refers to himself as being the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a great way to think about yourself. I wonder how many of us feel that way. John's testimony comes from a very close relationship with Jesus himself. And both supplement, his, his testimony both supplements and complements the other gospels. His purpose for writing is made very clear in the 20th chapter and verse 31. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of John or your phones, um, if you have version, you can find the event uh, on version. For some reason or other, I can't bring it up on my iPad right now. <laughs> so pull out your Bible apps and um, look up the passage from John chapter 20 and verse 31. I wanted to share it on the screen, but I can't get my pad to work. I should have let, had John use his, I guess. But <laughs> it says this. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's why the Gospels were written. This was the purpose for all of the Gospels. The message is the same for us today. In the minds of a Jewish person of the day, the Messiah was the person that was go going to come and be the king who would free them from Roman captivity. We know from scripture that Jesus was and is far more than just an earthly king. John chooses to begin his testimony with some very interesting words. Flip back to the beginning of John chapter one and verse one. He says, in the beginning was the, say it, word. And the word was with God and the was God. Huh? <laughs> That's kind of weird. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What? It said he, he was with God in the beginning, talking about the word. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Wow. The word is pretty important, isn't it? And the word was God. The word was with God. He was there in the beginning. If you move down a few lines in John chapter 1 and come to verse 14, I, I just read that first part in the New International Version. I'm going to skip to the New Living Translation now. It says this. So the word became flesh or human in the NLT and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory. 
the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The Gospels are recording the good news of Jesus. And they've seen his glory. And they want to share it with you. You see, John makes it very clear that from the very start of his book, this Messiah, whom he loves so much, was both God and man. He tells us that Jesus was there when the world was created. And he gives us a hint as to the type of person that Jesus was. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just paraphrase, if you will, skim through the life of Christ. And as John has said each week, there's no way that we can cover this much ground and this amount of time and say exactly what you want us to say. But since I'm up here, I get to say what I want to say. <laughs> and John doesn't get to choose that this morning. <laughs> what we want is for you to go and look and see if what we say is what we should say. So the gospels tell us that Jesus was born into this world in a miraculous way, born to the Virgin Mary, who was engaged to be married to this guy called Joseph. We discover that he was visited by shepherds and the Magi, how Joseph and Mary had to fly or flee, excuse me, with their family to Egypt so that their little child wouldn't be killed by the king, Herod. But when Herod died, they would return to Nazareth where Jesus would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew up in a good Jewish home, learning the Torah and observing the law. He knew them so well that at the age of 12, he was found teaching them to the religious teachers in the temple. At about 30 years old, Jesus went to the Jordan River where his cousin John was baptizing people. And when Jesus requested to be baptized by John, John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him, and at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, whose voice would that be? God's. That voice said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Isn't that awesome? I wonder if God would say that about you. God was identifying who this man, Jesus, was. And from there, Jesus and went out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, we know the story. He was tempted. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights, tempted by the devil. And not long after that, Jesus and some of his disciples went to Samaria for a wedding. And while at the celebration, his mother asked him to resupply the wine because it was running low. He did this 
by turning water into wine that was better than the wine that they had at the beginning of the wedding. And one day when Jesus and his disciples went to the temple area, just before the Jewish Passover, he found that it was being used for a marketplace. It wasn't being used as his father had intended. And seeing this, he was filled with passion and made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple saying, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus performed many miracles during his few years of ministry, including feeding thousands of people with as little as five loaves and of bread and two little fishes, healing the sick, the blind, the deaf, the lame, the leper, and he even raised the dead. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He cursed the fig tree and made it wither. Jesus invited all people to follow him. He hung out with those who were rich and those who were poor and those who were in between. People from all walks of life came to see him. Even the religious leaders of the day came to see him, expecting him to be that king who would rescue them from the Roman rule. He taught them from the law and the prophets and spoke about the kingdom of heaven. He often taught using parables. And I want you to turn to the book of Luke and chapter 8, if you would. Turn to the book of Luke and chapter 8. And we're going to start with verse 4 and read one of those parables that Jesus told his disciples. A parable is a story that was used to teach a truth. And if you grew up in this agricultural area, you will probably be able to relate with this parable that Jesus told his disciples. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 4, says this. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks, and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he had said this, he called out, don't miss these words. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Makes me think of my dad. When we were working side by side on the farm and he was wanting to teach me something and he was wanting me to understand it completely. 
and he would say, listen to me a number of times <laughs> to make sure that he got my attention. Jesus is saying to you today, listen, you've got ears, listen to what is being said. And sometimes when my dad would tell me that I wouldn't fully understand what he was trying to tell me. And so I would ask him, what do you mean by that? Well, sometimes when we look in scripture, we're not quite sure what we're reading and we have to ask the same thing. And these disciples that were with him, if we continue on in verse nine, it says they asked him what this parable meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I wonder what scriptures he's talking about there. He's talking about the Old Testament, isn't he? He says that they might be fulfilled, and this is what they said. When they look, they won't really see. And when they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable, Jesus continues. The seed is God's word. In the beginning was the word. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fall on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while and then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Wow. That one hits kind of home, doesn't it? And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. That's the desire. That's the desire that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all had. They want us to listen to the word. God gave them the message. He showed them who Jesus was. And they want us to cling to the word so that there might be a huge harvest. As we go on in Jesus' life, after he told this message to the disciples, it says that he chose 12 men to travel with him so that he might teach them and train them for the task of starting his kingdom here on earth. He called this kingdom his church. And it's interesting that these 12 men, as they traveled with him, they listened and learned, but not all of them remained faithful. There was one. You can read it in the Gospels that didn't. 
After three years of traveling and teaching, Jesus and his disciples returned to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And by this time, people from all over the world had heard and seen the signs and wonders he had performed. So they welcomed him to the city like a king would be welcomed. They cut branches from the trees and laid them in, uh, in their coats on the ground for him to walk on. And they shouted, blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. What a great entry into a city. Multitudes of people expecting this king to be the one that frees them from Roman rule. Jesus and his disciples go to a house and they meet together. And they have supper together. And one of the last lessons that Jesus taught his disciples was that of leading by becoming a servant. For close to three years, they had traveled closely with him, watching him minister to those around him. He knew that his time on earth was drawing to a close and that these men would soon become the leaders in his kingdom. So he wanted them to understand the commitment that they were making and how it had nothing to do with being served, but everything to do with serving. Now they were gathered around a table eating a meal and Jesus placed himself in the position of a lowly servant by washing their feet. He also used that moment to share the way he would remember them, how we should remember him and what he was about to do. He shared about the bread and what it means and the wine, the cup, and what it means. And we're going to do that in a little bit together as we remember him. It was an important moment that we need to listen to and grasp hold of. Soon after that supper, that one who was more interested in himself and the things around him than he was in grasping hold of the Savior. He went and for a few coins betrayed this man, the Word. Jesus would demonstrate how far he would go to serve his people by allowing himself to be arrested, dragged before the authorities, Falsely accused of things he hadn't done, flogged, made fun of, and eventually hung on a cross where he gave up his life. And in so doing, he paid the price for my sins and yours. He would rise from the grave three days later, proving that even death couldn't hold him captive. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Each from their own unique perspectives, with their specific audience in mind. All of history is affected by what Jesus did 
as recorded in these gospels. It truly is the good news. Listen, grasp hold of this good news. Hang on to it. Matthew ends his testimony with this great commission. In Matthew, I believe it's chapter 28 and beginning with verse 18. We hear these words. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These instructions still apply to anyone who calls themselves a Christian today. We are to go and spread the gospel to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and continue to teach them. Jesus is mentioned in every single book of the Bible. Maybe not by name, but he's there. Every single book of the Bible points to this time, the Gospels, to this man, to this king. And as you came in this morning, if you didn't sneak in the other doors and you came in the back door over here, there was a stand there with some, um, some papers on it. And on that paper, it tells on one side how Jesus was mentioned in every book of the Bible. I'm not going to go through that whole list, but I would love for you as you leave today, if you didn't pick up one of those pieces of paper, I would love for you to take one. And as you read through the scripture this year, ask yourselves, how does this point to Christ? How can I know him more by reading Ecclesiastes? <laughs> how can I know him more by reading about Jonah and so on and so forth. Well, this will give you a hint and what to look for. You see, Jesus is a part of our lives in many, many ways. And one of the things that we need to understand that he is still here with us today. In the beginning was the word. We still have him. We have his body, the kingdom of heaven, the church. We have each other. We need each other. And it's so good to see people regathering with each other so that we might look each other in the eye and encourage one another and build each other up. But most of all, so that we can remind each other of who he is. 
and that we might be prepared to go into all the world. I wanna read to you a poem that's on the other side of that page that you picked up on the way in. And it's simply called, He Is, and it all goes together. By the way, um, I did not write these, obviously. Um, They were um, put together by Acts 2 and 38, and I'm not even sure who that is, but they were brought to me after a discussion I had with uh, one of those people that I dearly love called Diane. (laughs) And we were talking about how Jesus is in the word, and she said, I know of a poem about that. And she brought it to me. And as I read it, I thought, I need to use this. I want you to think about these words. Who is Jesus? He is the first and last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. And the leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. And the people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The new age can't replace him. He is light, love, longevity, and Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide and he is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord and he rules my life. I serve him because his bond is love. His burden is light. And his goal for me is abundant life. I follow him because he is the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, the overseer of the overcomers, and the sovereign Lord of all that was and is and is to come. And if that seems impressive to you, try this for size. His goal is a relationship with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He never misleads me. He never forgets me, never overlooks me, and never cancels my appointment in his appointment book. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am lost, he is the way. 
When I am afraid, he is my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I am hurt, he heals me. When I am broken, he mends me. When I am blind, he leads me. When I am hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. And when I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his and he is mine. My father in heaven can whip the father of this world. Yeah. Let's praise him. So if I wonder why I feel so secure. So if you're wondering why I feel so secure, understand this. God said it and that settles it. God is in control. I am on his side. And that means all is well with my soul. Every day is a blessing because God is. Let's pray. Father, as we humble ourselves before you, we must fall to our faces in your presence, knowing that you are the I am. You are greater than all things. And around us, this world seems to be upside down and all topsy-turvy, but yet in the midst of it, you are. You love us so much that you gave us your son, the word. But more than that, your son left his spirit here on this earth to help us to understand who you are and who he is. Thank you for guiding us day by day. Thank you for loving us when we make those mistakes. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for taking us home when it's our time. Father, as we continue this morning, I just pray that your spirit would lift us and encourage us as we remember your son, Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.